0: And Becky will be telling you a little bit more about that in just a moment. But welcome. I'm glad that you've come to the one service this morning. This was probably not the best day to have one service because of our parking situation. But uh, it is what it is, and we just have to take it as it comes. So um, I'm grateful that you've made it today and that you're part of this service. And if you're visiting with us, there is a tear-off on the bulletin. If you would fill that out and place it in the offering plate or hand it to me or... Uh, one of the deacons at the door at the conclusion of the service. We could have a record of your attendance and know better how to serve you, but we are grateful that you've come to be a part of this service today. The opportunities of the week are listed in the bulletin. I'll just hit the ones that are un- uh, that we normally don't um, have, and that's deacons meeting tonight at 6.30. So deacons meeting is tonight at 6.30. This was rescheduled from January the 17th, and so um, we will have our quarterly deacons meeting tonight at 6.30. The other announcements are are normally what we would do, and uh, one thing I do need to tell you, there will be no youth band practice tonight, uh, because Tommy has gotten caught up in something and he can't be here, but there'll be no youth band practice, but you will have youth, right? We'll have youth. So, just wanted to make that announcement. Uh, Terry gave me that just a few moments ago. Uh, I need to call on um, Karen Monger to make an announcement about February and following her Uh, Becky Shermer will come and give you a little direction about uh, what we're going to do after this service this morning.
1: It's Operation Christmas Child time, and the snow messed us up a little bit, so please know that you can continue to buy your hats, (coughs) scarves, earmuffs, and gloves and mittens for our Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes that we will be packing in the fall. If we start now, we can gather a lot and enough. So you want to know what's for February. February is paper, such as coloring books for all the little children, and paper like small pads or journals or these little notebooks, three for a dollar, um, my office changes letterhead often, and so they give me all the old letterhead, and I chop it off and make it just the right size for a shoebox. So paper for February, and make bless a child and share Jesus with them through Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes. Thank you.
2: Go teams! <laughs> um, so you guys have been hearing over the past month about our ministry team meeting that we have today. And um, just wanted just to invite those who are on the teams, and just to make sure there's there's clarity about this. The teams that we're going to be focusing on today and that we're going to be having the workshop for are those particular teams that the nominating team members invite you to become members of so there's other teams that aren't within what we do so there is actually a sheet a couple of sheets and over in the family life center that have a a roster sheet the one thing that's not on here is endowment but you know who you are Um, so if you want to check the sheet just to remind you if you appear in these 18 teams that would be great and you're invited to come over quickly for lunch it's going to be a real working session and it's going to be just like a game there's going to be time Um, that's going to be accounted for. We're going to be doing a lot of work, and we'll have some prayer at the end, and it'll be a really good time for all. Um, So we look forward to you guys coming over and enjoying some time together. Thanks.
0: Shall we pray? Eternal God, as we come into your presence today, we give thanks for the opportunity of worship. We give thanks for the opportunity to praise your name. For indeed, you have visited us in a way to show us of your great love for us. Draw near to us in this time of worship as we seek to listen for a word from you as we seek to lift up honor and praise to your name. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.
3: It's wonderful to see all of you here this morning. I invite you to take your hymnals and turn to hymn number six as we sing of God's majesty and power in immortal, invisible, God only wise. Hymn number six. Please stand as we sing.
4: This in choir when I a teenager. Sheet music.
0: Your hymnal in hand and turn to the back to responsive reading number 692. 692. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might.
3: And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart.
0: Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The entrance of thy words giveth light it giveth understanding unto the simple.
5: The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony
0: of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity.
5: Let
3: love and faithful
0: Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man.
3: Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your
0: path straight. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word.
3: I ask that you keep your hymnals open, and before we turn to our second hymn, I'm going to ask you to turn to our hymn of invitation at the end. We'll be singing number 298, and I'd just like to um, show you one thing about that hymn so that it won't come as a surprise when we sing it later on in the service. If you'll turn to 298, I'll live for Him." You'll notice that it has three verses, and underneath the third verse, there is another line in italics. That is the refrain. After we sing each verse, we will go back and sing the refrain before we go on to the next verse. So it'll be three verses with the refrain following each verse at the invitation time. I now ask you to keep your hymnals with you and turn to hymn number 286, I saw the cross of Jesus. And we'll stand as we sing this wonderful hymn together. 286.
0: Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning.
6: Deuteronomy 15:10 I will give generously to others without grudging heart. Let us go to God in prayer. Lord, praises to you for your love, grace, and fellowship. Keep us always mindful of all we have been given and ready to be generous with the resources you have entrusted to us. Looking
0: forward to the opportunities you will provide for us to bless others through the gift of giving. Lord, heal our country and our world. In Jesus' name, amen. gracious Lord and Savior, into your presence we bow with thanksgiving for the grace shown to us through Jesus Christ our Lord, asking, Father, that as we listen to the Spirit, that we might be compelled to share that love with others. The power of your grace to transform us gives us purpose, gives us meaning, provides for us hope as we journey through life. We thank you that we have the assurance that through our faith, we can be redeemed through Jesus Christ. We're thankful for times of worship, for times to come together and contemplate your greatness in our midst. Forgive us, Father, for our failure to acknowledge you in everything. To recognize, Father, that it is by your will and by your grace that we are gathered here today. We're thankful, Father, that as we come together, you have asked us, commanded us to pray. And so we come before you asking that you work in the lives of those who are facing illness. We pray, Father, for strength and healing in their lives. We know, Father, that life is filled with peaks and valleys, and yet we also know that in all of those times, you are there. For those, Father, who have lost loved ones in recent weeks and days, we know, Father, that the pain is real, that the grief sometimes can be debilitating, and yet as you break through, Comfort and assurance can be found. We're thankful for this church, for the ministries and work of this place. For those who volunteer their time and their talents. So that we can work in such a way that together we can be a witness to others. We're thankful for our missionaries and for their work. We're thankful that as we pray for them, that they have a surrendered life before you. And that as their lives are surrendered to you, others can see Jesus in them. May the same be true of us. We thank you, Father, for the time around your word. For the power... Of its presence in our lives. We're thankful for your servant Paul. And for his willingness to say those things by the power of the Spirit that need to be said. As we seek to be your servants. Bless us as we continue this afternoon. Sharing with one another. Journeying together seeking to serve, in the name of Jesus, amen.
6: There's a sweet sweet spirit in this place and I know that it's the spirit of the Lord there are sweet expressions i <laughs>
0: We continue our study of Second Corinthians, taking a break last week for a little snow. And so this will move everything a week uh, down. So I'm going to finish this study because uh, I think it's very productive for us to spend time in one book and to glean what we can. And the interesting thing about the scripture is we can do this one time and uh, we could wait a month and go back and do it again and learn something entirely different. That's the beauty of the Scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, or clay jars in some translations, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, we are perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Paul had to respond decisively to the problem in Corinth. We already know that he sent a harsh letter by way of Titus that drew a line in the sand. Since then, Paul had left Ephesus and was moving through Macedonia, probably along, as we've already stated, the Via Ignatia Highway. He hoped somewhere along the way to meet up with Titus with news of the Corinthian response to the harsh letter. Before jumping into describing the joy of his rendezvous with Titus, Paul engaged a long discussion of Christ as conqueror and the new covenant, the Messiah, brought. He engaged this discussion in order to reframe the Corinthian church's understanding of their relationship to the apostle and his relationship to them through his ministry. The point was that the relationship was never about Paul. That's an important point to remember all the time in ministry. Ministry is not about the individual. The point was that this relationship was never about Paul. The relationship always has been about a victorious, conquering Christ and his transforming new covenant that surpasses anything God's people ever have experienced in the entire history of Israel, including Moses. In all this discussion, One element that patently guided Paul's theological and practical reflection was his experience on the Damascus Road to which he obliquely alluded in his letters in various ways on multiple occasions. That transformation on the Damascus Road was the defining moment in Paul's life. That experience dictated the terms of his relationship to God first and his relationship to others. Thus, when we hear Paul speak of light, of glory, of God, of face, of Jesus, as in the previous chapters, these words were not abstract theological terms for Paul. These words evoke the realities of his own personal experience on the way to Damascus his own apocalypse of Jesus Christ, a theological supernova, if you will, exploding into shock waves throughout the universe of his Jewish thought. And this transformed him for the rest of his life. Church really was not a game for Paul. Church was reality. And that reality was expanding into eternity. And Paul had definitive Answers to the problems at Corinth. We sometimes can wonder if understanding the Apostle Paul might never really be possible. Perhaps very few people ever have had such a theological supernova exploding into their lives. Without that shared spiritual experience revolutionizing a life and radicalizing a conviction, our commitment is hard-pressed to plumb the depths of his and our desire to run the race is exhausted long before Paul is even winded. Perhaps Corinthians, the Corinthians too some of whom we must not forget were ranked pagans when first converted, had their difficulty getting their minds around the mind of Paul. But what Paul is trying to teach is that once you experience a relationship with Christ, once you have experienced Christ for yourself, your life is transformed. It's a good thing for us to contemplate in our lives. For if our lives are not transformed, if ministry for us is not about Christ, then we do not have Christ. Yet truth be told, Paul was no less human than anyone around him. That humanity was precisely what makes Paul's message so mesmerizing and impossible to ignore. All the while, he was achieving what seemed to be superhuman tasks. He was surrounded by the sure signs of human frailty and inability. That reality, too, is part of the equation of Pauline ministry and has to be figured into the calculus of understanding his letters. No one was more aware of this calculus than Paul himself. In fact, he used his own humanity to make his point about the surpassing excellency of Christ. He even insisted that his own weakness was one of his strongest arguments for the reality of the Spirit. As the individual common denominator that makes any equation of Christian life work, he understood that out of his weakness, God could use him. You see, when we're sure of ourselves... When we think we have it all figured out, that's when in reality we become dependent on ourselves and not God. And so Paul constantly came back to that humbling experience he had on the Damascus road to remind him of who he belonged to. Paul now moved into the very equation of power and weakness in his developing thought in 2 Corinthians. Ministry is eternal, and this truth reinvigorates the sense of the importance of today. With eternity in mind, a paradox appears. How can a matter so incredibly momentous as Christian ministry that involves a decision with eternal consequences be relegated to instruments as weak as human beings? The divine logic is counterintuitive, but most effective. So let's take a look at these verses with this understanding of how Paul approached his relationship to Christ which drove his relationship to others and his ministry. First we see in verse 7 an incalculable treasure. Paul said, now we have this treasure. There is a true story that comes from the sinking of the Titanic. A frightened woman found her place in a lifeboat that was about to be lowered into the North Atlantic. She suddenly thought of something she needed, so she asked permission to return to her stateroom before they cast off. She was granted three minutes, or they would leave without her. She ran across the deck that was already slanted at a dangerous angle. She raced through the gambling room with all the money that had rolled to one side ankle deep. She came to her stateroom and quickly pushed aside her diamond rings and expensive bracelets and necklaces and she reached to the shelf above her bed and grabbed three small oranges. She quickly found her way back to the lifeboat and got in. Now that seems incredible because 30 minutes earlier she would not have chosen a crate of oranges or even the smallest diamond. But death, had boarded the Titanic. One blast of its awful breath had transformed all values. Instantaneously, priceless things had become worthless. Worthless things had become priceless. And in that moment, she preferred three small oranges to a crate of diamonds. Her priorities, her perspective had changed. God's creative power in dwelling the believer through the Spirit is without a doubt a treasure of incalculable value. We need to think about the lengths to which humans will go in order to secure a treasure, in order to understand what Paul is saying. In director Steven Soderbergh's 2001 remake of the original 1960 Oceans 11 film Actor George Clooney's character Danny Ocean pulls together a crime team to rob three Bellagio Las Vegas casinos simultaneously on the night of a huge boxing match that will mean the Bellagio vault will have to secure a treasure of more than $150 million. You may have seen the movie. The only small problem is Las Vegas casino vault security is one of the most intense in the world. The plan will have to be incredibly audacious. Getting past all that security to abscond with the treasure is the rest of the plot. So if you want to watch it, you can see how they did it and pulled it off. It was so um, successful that they made an Ocean's 12. If we think of treasure as something normally secured in the most fail-safe ways, we've all been to the bank and seen the big vault door, haven't we? Uh, I think sometimes it's just for show, but there's a big vault door in a lot of banks and you see where they secure their safe deposit box and uh, the capital that the cash that they have and so forth. But if we think of treasure as something normally secured in the most fail-safe ways like the Bellagio vault, then saying that a treasure is put in earthen vessels or clay jars is jarring to say the least. Now think about that. Normally, bronze jars would have been used for valuable items. Clay was easily available, cheap, easily broken, and disposable. Thus, clay jars were for temporary storage or held only inexpensive items or material. A clay repository is completely unexpected and seems entirely unsuitable for the treasure. Yet, that is precisely what God has done. He has placed within us a treasure. A treasure in earthen vessels. A treasure in clay jars. An undeniable miracle took place in our lives when Christ came into our lives. And in verses 7-9, through nine, Paul used the expression, in clay jars. A divine logic drives... Re- uh, drives this choice. The extraordinary power effective in Christ's residency in clay jars proves the origin is from God and not from us. Paul then provided a litany in verses 8 and 9 showing how clay jars miraculously preserve their treasure when under normal circumstances they should not. And this signals to us proof of God's work. He already said we were Treasures in clay jars. And then he says in verses 8 and 9 something about that treasure, doesn't he? He says pressured, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. So who is at work? God. God is at work in our lives. The treasure is secured in such a way that it doesn't stand up to logic. And yet with all of these things that troubled Paul, he understood that God held his life. The references may be generic, They may, however, have correlates in Paul's world. Pressured may be an overall general summary of Paul's mission and ministry. Perplexed likely is a flashback to the situation in Corinth, remembering how puzzling and disconcerting was the Corinthian rejection of their founding apostles' leadership. Persecuted seems to be the silversmiths' riot in Ephesus that we mentioned. Struck down might relate to the affliction in Asia mentioned at the beginning of 2 Corinthians when Paul was fearing for his very life in verse 8 of chapter 1. Such lists of enduring life's difficulties were used by Stoic philosophers to prove their commitment to perseverance. Jewish writers promoted the experiences of prophets and martyrs as models of endurance. Paul, however, based his endurance on an entirely different dynamic than Stoics or Rabbis. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. You see, Paul wanted to make it crystal clear that the ministry at work in the Corinthian church and in the church today, is of God. Not of us, but of God. And if we understand that God is in control, it changes the way we look at life. We like control. We like to have control, don't we? Uh, You can sit there and say, oh, no, I don't. Yes, you do. You like to have control. We all like control. We like to think that we can control our environment. But, you know, we're reminded that we're not in control of our environment. Just last week, weren't we? Whole world shut down, our world, shut down because of snow. We don't have a lot of control. And Paul says, when you learn to let that control go, and you recognize that your life is controlled by the Spirit within you, it can transform your ministry and your work. If we leave it up to us, it's impossible, isn't it? We really, we have those thoughts. We sit back and wring our hands and think that the world is going to hell and we have no control over. But you see, what we fail to recognize is that God does have control. And when he said that this treasure is in clay jars, this precious treasure is in clay jars, then God is saying, I can put my treasure anywhere and it will thrive. Because I'm God. And I love you. And my grace sustains you. And then we see in verses 10 through 12 an ironic revelation. Paul said, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed. However, this revelation comes by way of paradox also, just like a treasure in clay vessels. We carry in our bodies the death of Jesus. This thought is odd. The Greek word for death is strong, speaking of that which is decaying or stinking. Distinction from Stoic philosophers and Jewish prophets of the truth to which Paul appealed becomes evident in these verses. Paul said something most unusual. He said we always carry the death of Jesus. No Stoic philosopher or Jewish prophet ever said this. The very carry means carry about or carry here and there. Often used for general transport or movement of items. Even people such as the sick carried about on mats to wherever Jesus was heard to be. Thus this verb implies general movement on any given day. Something like constant activity. An idea reinforced with the adverb always. We always, as followers of Christ, as treasures, his treasure in earthen vessels, carry the death of Jesus with us. The verb is straightforward, but the object of the verbal action is a strong image and a strange thought. The death of Jesus. First, the Greek word for death here is a strong, vivid image that should not be disguised in translation. This word is the basis of our noun necrosis and our related adjective necrotic. This word is used in the medical field for formerly living tissue that is now dead and decaying. The putrefaction of living tissue produces a pugnant, foul smell. We think immediately of the warning to Jesus about Lazarus being in the tomb four days already. Lord, he's already decaying. And remember a couple of weeks ago in the sermon when we talked about being the fragrance of Christ? This changes that image for us, doesn't it? It changes it into something that is hard to wrap around. Not only is the image strong, the thought is strange. Paul said the carrying around of the death of Jesus is in our body. What is the point? Paul's focus was on the process of dying. That is how a believer lives in some way should reincarnate how Jesus died. The idea is parallel to Galatians 2.19. I have been crucified with Christ. How do we live this way? The key is volitional self-sacrifice on behalf of God's kingdom. That way of living by dying as with Jesus invoke the power of resurrection so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed. This revelation of life like that of death is in our body. Once again, the idea is parallel to Galatians 2.20. In short, 2 Corinthians 4.10, we have the exact theological equivalent of Galatians 2, 19 and 20. You see, Paul is saying that in order for people to see the life of Christ, they must see his death in you. Because we are resurrection people. Paul then indicated that this truth of the cross and resurrection working out in the lives of believers is volitional. For we who live are always given over to death, he says in verse 11. Paul here was making clear how he had behaved in their midst while he was there. At Corinth, he gave of himself voluntarily and sacrificially in time, money, resources, skills, and personnel. He did this for at least a year and a half in their midst. And afterwards, he continued investing in them with his active correspondence. He was no fly-by-night religious charlatan who milked them for all he could get and then vanished. The process of carrying the death of Jesus results in a living church. As Paul reminded the Corinthians, So death works in us, but life in you. You see the point? It's not that difficult. We die to self to live for Christ. We can't die to self until we allow Christ to live in us. Therefore, we recognize that through his death, we live. When Dawson Trotman passed away, he probably left a legacy of discipleship on this earth that will never be matched, except perhaps in the life of Jesus himself, and many people don't know who he is. He died in Shroon Lake, New York. He died of all things in the midst of an area that he was expert in. He drowned. He was an expert swimmer. The last few moments he had in the water, he lifted one girl out of the water. He went down and got the other girl and lifted her out of the water and then submerged and was not found again until the dragnet found him a few hours later. A man named Larson was on the boat when Trotman died, and he said the entire United States Navy couldn't have saved Trotman that day. It was God's time. Time magazine ran an article on Trotman's life the next week, and they put a caption beneath his name, and it read, Always holding somebody up. In one sentence, that w- that's what Trotman's life investment was. His investment was in people, in honesty, And humility, holding them up. Paul would ask us the same question today. Are we holding others up in the name of Jesus Christ? Have we allowed Christ to live in us? Who are we holding up? If one diligently lives the Christian life on the pattern Paul enunciated here, a church will sprout up. These verses were a strong admonition to the Corinthians. Their lives should be a sacrificial offering so that the church might live. The only way the church at Corinth could survive was if Corinthian believers constantly recreated the death and resurrection of Jesus within their community. The Corinthians too needed to be carrying the death of Jesus. What an incredible result from this treasure in clay jars to recognize that as we give ourselves to Christ, life begins. As we give ourselves to Christ, the community of faith can be strengthened because we recognize it's not us but the work of Christ in us. I'm often amused and shake my head when I hear people try to defend the words of Christ. We don't need to do that. Because the word of Christ is powerful even without us. You see... We don't need, and I've said this before, and Paul's thought is consistent in this way. We don't defend the gospel. The gospel defends us. It's important to understand that in life. It's what Christ does through us that changes people's lives. What I say can't change your life, but what Christ says through me... Can make a difference in your life. He transforms. Not us. And Paul wanted to make that crystal clear. He said we have this treasure. In this earthen vessel. This clay jar. But that treasure. Is given its life. Through the death and resurrection of Christ. To me, that gives me a place to rest. Realizing that it's what Christ does through me as I surrender to him that makes the difference in other people's lives. We can't make people what they don't want to be. But Christ, through us, can change them. Has he changed you? And if he has, are you carrying his death in your life? Shall we pray? Oh, Lord, we are grateful that in your plan, you dwell within us. And this treasure that we have is far more valuable than anything we could ever acquire. Because this treasure is from you. And it transforms our lives and gives to us hope. And purpose. May we live that way. As we die to self. To live for Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Our invitation him is I'll live for him. Indeed that's what he would have us to do. Live for him. Not for self but for
5: Christ.
0: The invitation is open to anyone who would receive Christ, to anyone who would unite with this fellowship of believers as we stand and sing hymn number 298. I'm happy to introduce to you this morning someone who's been with us for over a year now. Um, We call her BJ, but it's Betty Jo Mitchell. And she has moved into the community a few years ago, right? Yeah, several years ago. And, uh, you know, it's hard when you've been a part of a congregation for many, many years, and she comes to us from uh, another congregation in just north of here in Caroline County. And um, so she has decided, though, that this is where she is living and this is where she wants to be a member and so we want to receive her this morning on promise of letter from a sister congregation and I know that you want to affirm that by saying amen Amen. and so she will uh, be with us she's also one of my neighbors you know you need to bring your neighbors too so uh, (laughs) uh, she lives uh, in the community just across the street from me and uh, I see her Not on a daily basis, but almost on a daily basis as we're walking through the neighborhood. Not this time of year, you know, but uh, normally we do. So we're grateful that she's here. I'll ask her to stay at the front so the people can greet you. Would that be okay? Just stand over here. And then come Ron. Ron Tony comes this morning. And this is... Faye, Tony's husband, I, you've probably been introduced worse, <laughs> right? You know. uh, but Faye is a member of our congregation. Ron wants to come also. He wants to move his membership from a sister congregation and be a part of this fellowship. And Ron needs our prayers. He uh, found out that he uh, had, uh, has a, um, a brain tumor, tumor. Hey. had. They removed it, but he has to go through some more treatment related to that. And so, you know, when you feel at home and comfortable with the people, Uh, You want those people to be praying for you. So we're going to pray for him. He also comes wishing to rededicate his life in our presence this morning as well. And so he has come. He has made this request known. And so we certainly will uh, pray for uh, Ron through this time. And pray for Faye and the rest of the family as they deal uh, with this time with Ron. So I know you want to affirm him coming. So say amen. And so I'll let you stand with him and greet. And uh, you don't mind doing that? Stand Mm -hmm. here and let the folks. And so, um, you know, it's always a good day when people decide they want to come and be a part of us, right? And we're glad that they've come to be a part of us. They're part of the bigger family of God. But the local congregation is where we work out our relationship to Jesus Christ. And we are grateful for that. Uh, I'm trying to... um, I, I hate to just feel rushed. And we've got some things we want to do. If you're a part of the team... They want you to go over there and start uh, they they 're going to serve you, and then when they do the open and the welcome we 're going to have the blessing over there, okay, so I just want to make that clear because some people will stand around waiting on the blessing. I think the Lord allows us to bless after as well okay so um, i and I, I think if we did a paper on that, we would find biblical precedents for that as well so uh, uh anyway we will we will uh, do that, so if you are part of a team. Uh, you are invited to come across the way, and we need to spend some time getting to know one another on our teams, and hopefully we'll be through by 2 or a little after 2 this afternoon to do that. Deacons, don't forget that Deacons meeting is tonight at 6.30. I think that's all. We're back to two services next week. Also will be Communion Sunday because it's the first Sunday in February, and uh, I'm glad to see you all here today. Let's bow for a benediction. Gracious Lord, as we depart on this day that you've given to us, we do so recognizing that your love goes with us. As we allow your life and your day...